Today's podcast is brought to you by Victoria Hill Physical Therapy and Wellness, offering physical therapy and wellness services such as massage, craniosacral therapy, Reiki, intuitive body work, and energy balancing. They treat each person as the unique individual they are. Every session is one-on-one, and they accept most insurances for physical therapy services. They're located on Pearl Street in Hardwick, just up the road from Hazen Union. Give them a call at 802-472-6622. Our guest this week on No Fouls started out at Montpelier High School, started coaching, and his journey has taken him all over the world, literally. And we're excited to kind of hear about the journey and the passion. Please welcome to No Fouls, Joe Salerno. How you doing, Thomas? Um, great. So my earliest memory of you I think I was maybe 13, 14, and going to the Lenny Drew Classic. Okay. And going with the Hazen guys, it was like Billy Welcome and Tim Shedd and Randy Lumsden. And I remember seeing you there, and you were the alley-oop guy for the dunk contest. (laughs) It's because I wasn't athletic enough to to jump and and, and dunk myself. But, yeah, I remember uh, throwing a a couple alley-oops. I think David Ball won that dunk contest um i remember throwing him a few lobs which was which was cool but that was a great game uh there was a lot of a lot of really good uh central vermont players you know were part of that game and it was, it was certainly a, a great time good thing to be part of that was that was a very underrated all-star game it was well that was the first year that 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 game existed and and really it was something before before it was called the lenny drew classic it was actually a fundraiser uh put together um for a field trip to spain believe it or not but um yeah i know we had all the, all the schools in central vermont involved and uh, a lot of really good players uh dana dana white from stowe was in that game and uh jesse ellsworth from oxbow and and of course the, the hazen hazen guys were, were tough and um yeah mike perez david ball you know all those guys were involved so yeah a lot of a lot of great memories with that game so tell me where did your sports journey begin sports journey um i mean i've played sports my whole life you know i i really couldn't tell you um when it began um you know my my memories from furthest back you know i remember uh going to basketball practice playing for uh bysa basketball and uh going to basketball practices at the old spalding middle school um that had that really small gym that was you know all tile floor and um, you know, I, I remember that. I remember playing, man, I think Pony League Baseball at, at Bailey Fields. Um, you know, so all that, you know, football, BYSA football. I mean, I, I played, you know, whatever season it was, I was playing that sport as, as a kid and, you know, still still involved with sports to, to this day. So, um, yeah, it's just it's always been a part of my life. BYSA is very underrated for what they do and have done. I because I grew up in Woodbury, and there wasn't a ton in the sports realm for us to do there. And I love soccer, so my parents would drive, and I would go to BYSA soccer, whatever yeah. it was, two yeah. three times a week from Woodbury to Barry, and it was fantastic. 
Yeah, I mean, those, those youth sports organizations, they're uh, a lot of times they're undervalued. I mean, they, they do so much for for, uh, for children and, and getting kids involved in athletics at a young age. And um, I'm actually, uh, I'm very happy. I'm actually part of the uh, the board of directors for Fredericton Fusion Basketball, which is actually very similar to BYSA uh, here in Fredericton, New Brunswick. I've been part of that for uh, a little over a year now. So, um, yeah, it, it's cool. It's kind of come full circle a little bit. Did you always, or when did you really start gravitating kind of that passion to basketball? Because I know you were a big basketball and football player in high school. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think probably probably just before my sophomore year of, of high school, I think, is when it really uh, became more about basketball than, than anything else. Um, I'm not necessarily sure why that was. Um, I know my, my freshman year at, at Spalding High School, um, you know, played on that, that JV basketball team. And that was kind of a big jump. You know, I think there was only three freshmen on that team. And uh, I don't know if that kind of struck my interest even more and it kind of lit that fire a little bit. But, um, yeah, I think before my sophomore year, it really started becoming about basketball. And uh, my father was always pretty involved in, in the game uh, in Barry, And, you know, he always put together a local AAU team and we play all spring and, you know, we play a ton of games. So, um, you know, that, that's probably where I really started kind of gravitating towards basketball more than, than any other sport. And for those that don't know, your dad was a constant around the gyms come winter time, he was either mm. refing or calling games for whatever it be LVB or with Carl Parton. So we yeah. always saw him around the gym. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of people may not know before that. I mean, he, uh, I mean, he coached me, he coached, he coached all of my basketball teams all the way up until high school. Um, you know, and so, it was then Fran Pienaard's job and, and, and not his anymore. And I think that's, you know, when he really started officiating more and, and uh, you know, certainly doing some some color and play-by-play on the radio. So, yeah, he's always been involved in the game. He's still involved. He's, you know, he's always been, you know, watching my games. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's been great. Outside of your dad, who was the first coach that really had an impact on you? Oh, man. Um, David Batchelder. I don't know if a lot of people would know that name. David Batchelor was, he was Fran Pienaard's assistant coach for a long time. Um, he was actually the, the JV coach at Spalding High School just before I got there. And he was actually my seventh grade English teacher um, at, at Spalding Grade Middle School. He then went on to become the principal at uh, at the new Berry City Elementary School. Um but, uh, he, you know, I don't know, he was kind of the first guy that made me think, you know, like I could, uh, if I kind of worked hard, you know, I could, I could be all right at basketball. Um, you know, coach Pienaard to me though, he was, I remember, you know, being in elementary school and, and going down, I lived right by Spalding high school and going and watching those, those great Crimson Tide teams with Matt George and, and Mike Osborne and, um, you know, all those guys. And, from that point on, you know, Fran Pienaard was, was a big deal <laughs> to me as a kid. So when I finally had the opportunity to play for him, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. I think we had a, a great relationship. And um, so, yeah, I'd pro- probably those guys, probably those, those two, I would say, the first ones. What was Fran like as a coach? We've heard a few stories in a few episodes, but. Oh, man. You know, it's, it's, it's hard because I've never really left the game. So I've been around a lot of coaches and, and a lot of players and basketball people. Um, he was, he could get intense. He could, he could definitely get intense. Um, you know, he, he'd let you know if, if you didn't do something the, the right way or the way that he wanted it done. And, um, 
but you know, I think I think what I remember most about Coach Pinard was he could be as intense as as anybody uh, during a game or in a timeout or after a game. But then when you saw him in the hallways at school, you know, the next day it was like that was all put to the side and he was just a, a great guy and uh, always very friendly and always wanted to chat with you. And um, yeah, no, I have an awful lot of respect for coach Pinard. He, he did a, he did it for a long time. Um, and for him to always put away, you know, uh, those on the court feelings to just be an, a, a great person off the court. That's kind of what I remember about him the most. When did the kind of the idea of maybe wanting to try coaching start creeping in? I think, um, when my, my now, my, my now wife, uh, of 17 years, when her and I got our first apartment together, um, um, this would have been man back in 2004, maybe, um, she had gotten her first teaching job down in the Bennington area and her and I got an apartment together and I started coaching youth basketball, you know, um, I don't know what I was 20, 22, 20, 21 years old and, uh, junior high basketball. And, um, you know, I think we then made the move to Burlington, Vermont, and uh, the JV job in Montpelier came up. And uh, somebody reached out to me. It might have been Charlie Phillips, who was the principal there, um, you know, reached out and, and heard that I was kind of back in the area. And you know, if I wanted to to maybe coach JV basketball, and I said, sure. Um, and haven't really looked back since since then. Tell me about kind of that those first years, maybe that first JV season. How was that adjustment to, okay, now planning an hour and a half practice five days a week and games, and how was that transition? <clears throat> First, it was, it was awesome. I mean, it, it, was, it was so cool to be coaching at, you know, the high school that I graduated from, and, and we had a really good team there uh, that, that I was part of, and the guys were great. Like, the, the, the kids that played at Montpelier were, were awesome. I still stay in touch with some of those guys to, to this day. Um, but I think the transition was, was difficult because I was still working 40 hours a week. <laughs> you know, I was working in South Burlington, uh, coaching JV basketball at Montpelier High School. So I'd go to a full day of work. I'd make the 40-minute drive to Montpelier, you know, two-hour practice and a 40-minute drive home every night. And I did that for, you know, a full year, um, year and a half. Um, so it was good. It was a tough transition. I mean, it was different. All of a sudden you were coaching and it really felt like games mattered and, and um, you know, you wanted to win and you wanted to be competitive. And uh, I think, coaching at your alma mater, the school I graduated from, you know, you, it was even a little bit more kind of pressure to, Hey, I really want to win. I want to win for Montpelier high school. And, you know, that first season, we, we actually, it was my only undefeated season ever as a coach at the JV level. Um, we went 18 and 0 that year. And uh, I think I still have like a, a newspaper clipping from, from that at the end of our season. So um, yeah, it was, it was a great transition for me to high school basketball and I loved every minute of it. Did you kind of feel after that, okay, I want to keep going, and when the opportunity to move up to varsity, did you feel like you were ready for it? Um, I, You know what? I, I did. Um, actually, that year with that JV team, you know, I, I had just gotten married. I'd only been married maybe a few months, six months or so, and um, I told my, my wife, I said, I think I want to try coaching, like, as a as a full-time thing, you know, and, and – um, you know, so long story short, uh, actually it was, it was Tim Nelson at the time who was the varsity coach at Montpelier and, and uh, or David Nelson, excuse me. Um, he ended up retiring, uh, that next year. So the job was open. And for me, I think it was a, it was a no brainer because so many of those kids that I just had on the JV team, they were moving up to the varsity team, guys like, like Sam Brigham and, 
um, and Sean Dowling and Aiden King and Andrew Gribben, Evan Parker, you know, all those guys. So um, it was kind of a natural progression. And uh, for me, there, there was never a hesitation in terms of did I feel I was ready or not. I was just so excited to be coaching varsity basketball. And, um, you know, we had we had a pretty good team. It, it was a lot of fun. Man. It was some of the, the most fun years I think I've had uh, coaching. Now, you said you mentioned your wife. Okay, I'd like to try to maybe make this a full-time thing. And full-time basketball coach in Vermont isn't necessarily going hand-in-hand together. It's it's not, you know, actually I had actually coached, I'd been coaching varsity for a couple of years when I'd gotten married. And that's when I said, you know what, I think I want to try to do this as a, as a full-time job. And, um, that's when, uh, the Frosties, um, hired me. They, they were looking for a full-time assistant coach and it wasn't a lot of money, but it was, it was, it was money, you know, it yep. was enough to get by and, and rely on your wife totally. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that that's when that opportunity came around, and you know, to this day, I remember I coached that same group of, of kids at Montpelier for uh, for three years, uh, and it was all it was going into their senior year, and you know, for me to sit them all down in a room and tell them I was I was going to leave and, and go to the Frosties, that was still to this day one of the toughest conversations I've I've ever had. Um, like there were there were tears, like I you know I really really loved that yeah. group, and um, so it was hard. That was that was that was tough, but but making the jump to uh, the Frosties and yeah, leaving my full time job to to do that was a was a huge kind of leap of faith, and um, you know it kind of it kind of paid off. How enjoyable has it been for you to see what Nick has been able to do after you left, and what that Montpelier program has come back to, and now is the powerhouse at the top of Division Two boys basketball? Yeah, I'd love to see him go to Division One. To be honest with you, I'd love to see that, but um, it's awesome. I, I've watched, you know, all of Nick's Final Four games online, you know, up here from, from Canada and, um, you know, still shooting messages every now and then. And, you know, it, it's been so much fun because, of course, Nick was was with me at Montpelier. Um, he was one of one of my assistant coaches there. And and then when I got the head job with the Frosties, um, Nick came over with me there as well. And, and that was really when, when Nick first started coaching. Um and he was really one of my first assistant coaches, you know, so to see him become the coach that he is now, um, it, it's so impressive. And man, he's, he's on his path I man. he's on his path to be, to be one of the all time greats in, in Vermont. You know, he keeps doing what he's doing. Um, so no, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy for him in, in Montpelier high school. And uh, it's awesome to see, you know, how good they are. They, they got some, they got some really good players. They've had some great players the last couple of years. So uh, it's a lot of fun. And I'm guessing, you're very busy, so the chances of you getting back to a to see an auditorium game in person probably aren't super likely. I've been so close. I've been so close sometimes, especially those those first couple of years that that he went um, because I either I was in transition uh, between jobs or uh, you know now it'd be difficult with with what I'm doing now coaching university basketball. It'd be hard to get down there, but there's been a few times that. I could have hopped in the car and made the 10 hour drive down, you know, to, to catch a game. And I just didn't pull the trigger because I could watch it online. But um, the Barry Auditorium is a, a super special place um, for, for me. Um, so I haven't been there for, for years. I haven't been to a, a Vermont State, you know, Final Four game. But I mean, I, I grew up on Maple Avenue in, in Barry. 
And I mean, you could literally see the Barry Auditorium from my bedroom window. Like I could see it. And, you know, I, I, uh, I remember playing on, on side hoops up there, like way back during men's leagues games. Um, a good friend of mine named Mike Fortier, uh, his dad, uh, always played in men's league and we used to go up there and shoot on the side hoops. And, and you know, then I got to, I got to play there in a state championship game as a high school player. And then I got to go there as an assistant coach. And then I got to go there as a head coach, uh, high school. Right. And then all of a sudden I was coaching there with the Frosties. So the Barry Auditorium holds like a really special place for me. And I've, 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 I've been there for a lot of different things. So someday I'll get back there. I can't wait. I can't wait to go see a game there. And hopefully Nick, Nick's in it. So coaching 15, 16, 17 year old kids who are, you know, very early in their, you know, basketball journeys and you transition to, you know, grown men. Yeah, who have been through college and ha- have life experience. How how has that kind of change? Man, um, well, with the Frost team specifically, uh, it was a, a really difficult transition. And you know, of course, I I was the assistant coach there, and you know, unfortunately, the head coach was was let go fairly early in that season. Um, and I remember Michael Healy asking me, you know do I want to interview for the head job? And at first I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not ready to, to do that. Um, but he kind of pushed me and he just said, you know, we like your rapport with the players and it's probably because I was the same age as, as most of them. Um, but uh, it was, it was, it wasn't so much communicating with the players that was difficult in, in earning their, their respect. Um, I think I threw a guy out of practice, my, my first practice as a head coach for the Frosties and he probably didn't deserve it. I think I was doing it just to try to, to make a statement a little bit as a young coach, but um, transitioning to the, the game itself was, was super difficult. Um, I mean, I remember my first game ever coaching the Frosties was against Michael Ray Richardson in, in Lawton, Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and they had a great team. And uh, my first game, you know, we lost by 50, 53 points. That doesn't happen right in, in a pro game. And, and I just remember that the game was going so fast. I mean, I, I couldn't even really tell what was going on. And, and uh, so that was a really hard transition, but, yeah, you know, I think for me anyway, personally, I, I've been thrown into to some fires and it's it's been the best way for me to learn, um, you know, so you take some lumps here and there. But, you know, ultimately, it's 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 paid off in the long run for me. Are you a big kind of studying guy? Are you kind of learning on the fly? Because I'm assuming you're not, you know, walking into the frosties being OK, motion offense, screen away <laughs> like those days are done at that point. Yeah, no, it, it definitely was. Um, I took, I, I learned an awful lot from from Jeff Strom uh, in the several months that I was coaching underneath him. You know, really more so about a bit more of a pro style game. Um, you know, in terms of putting the ball in players' hands, putting them in space, and allowing them to make reads and make decisions. And I, I, I took a lot from him. Um, and I remember after that year, because I was going to be returning uh, with the Frosties. For a second year, uh, that summer, man, I went to every coaching clinic I could go to. I mean, I was driving everywhere. I mean, I was, I went and I remember going down to Boston and seeing Tommy Amaker speak and I went and saw Jim Calhoun speak. And, you know, I, as much as I could, uh, kind of crammed in and, you know, it was every night, every night I was online. I was trying to learn things and, and read books and talk to coaches. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I crammed an awful lot in, in a short period of time. And then a lot of it was learning on the fly and making adjustments on the fly and, uh, but again, I think a lot of that's maybe the coach that I am today, and and um, you know it, it helped me a lot. 
And we mentioned kind of the beginning. It's basketball is taking you literally all over the world. And I see stops in like Netherlands for clinics and, you know, bouncing around how much, you know, we always hear about it. Basketball is its own kind of like universal language as you're going to these different places. And we'll obviously get to, you know, you're coaching Syria. Yeah. (laughs) How much is basketball kind of the language more so than, you know, actually literally speaking the language. It is. I I believe it is a universal language and it's not so much, you know, basketball, it's, it's, it's body language and it's demeanor. And, um, you know, I'm I'm sure we'll, we'll talk more about the Syrian national team here, but, um, you know, even those 90% of those guys spoke Arabic, you know, they, they knew what I wanted, you know, in practice or on the court based on, temperament and body language and, and voice levels and tones. And um, so, yeah, I, I think basketball it is. And, you know, I have, I have had the opportunity to to see basketball and coach basketball and be part of basketball in, in a lot of different countries over the years. And, uh, you know, ultimately it is, it's the same game. Uh, it, it's really kind of cool to see how different cultures and, and uh, you know, how much they appreciate the game and it's, it's been awesome, but do I say, you know, basketball is a universal language? Yeah, I mean, for sure. It's a, it's a sport, and, and, you know, once you know how to play, you know how to play, and um, yeah, for sure. You mentioned, you know, how supportive your wife was throughout kind of especially that early portion. When you finish up with the Frost Thieves and all of a sudden you're looking to go north of the border, yeah. was, that a, was that a hard conversation to pick up and – you know, switch countries? It was hard because we had never been to Prince Edward Island, which was the first place that I went to in Canada. And it was difficult because, you know, although the Frosties was, you know, professional basketball and it was, I was on a, like a salary for them. It was still, you know, you felt like you had the safety net. I was living in Barry, you know, I was, you know, where I'd always been. So to make the move to Canada and really kind of sign, you know, a first, you know, kind of long pro contract and, and things like that, especially with a with a league that was going into its inaugural season. I mean, that's a pretty big roll of the dice, uh, especially when, you know, I had a 16 month old son, uh, you know, our firstborn, and and uh, we were going to leave everybody and everything we knew and and, and move to Canada uh, for this new basketball league. So, yeah, it was a big gamble, big roll of the roll of the dice. But she was supportive. She's been supportive of, of me and my career, uh, you know, every step along the way. She really has. And it seemed like it was. You mentioned you're signing a contract. It's kind of like okay, this is real. Mm-hmm. But you're also not just coaching now. At this point, you're in you know, players, and you're helping yeah. select players, and you're in player development. Was that yeah, a change? Well, obviously it was a change, but. It, it was a change. Um, you know, I, I did, I did some of that with the Frosties. I mean, that going into that second year, I had to put together a training camp roster and, and start dealing with agents and talking with and trying to find players. And this was going to be on a, a bit of a different level though, than, than the Frosties were. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, we had two owners of, of that team that they weren't basketball guys, you know, they were business guys. So all of a sudden hiring, you know, me to, to come from Vermont and, 
it was kind of like, okay, Joe, what do we do? What do we do in terms of the basketball side of things? Um, so, yeah, I mean, doing all that, the, the kind of groundwork from, I mean, really from the ground up, um, was a huge learning experience for me and, and I learned so much from it. Um, and you know, I was, I was with that team for, for six years. Um, we had a lot of good seasons and, but yeah, there was a lot more responsibilities on my plate, uh, than what there was uh, in Vermont. Kind of throughout those six years. I mean, I obviously basketball's the passion for you, but did you start, okay. Seeing it more as that business and, okay, this is yeah. contracts involved and, ooh, there may be this opportunity at Moncton where I can be a general manager and an opportunity to leave and move on where it becomes, like I said, more of a business decision as opposed to, you know, leaving 15, 16-year-old kids to go to the yeah. Frost Thieves. Yeah, it, it definitely did. I mean, you know, when, when I got into my, you know, third and fourth year up there and you know, we had some success. We had, we went to back-to-back finals in my second and third year. Unfortunately, we lost both of those, lost in game seven, the second one. Um, but yeah, then it started kind of becoming, okay, th- this is the job. Like this is the the kind of career now. And, you know, I, I was, it was a great organization. Uh, we loved being on Prince Edward Island. So you, you start taking all those considerations. You know, we have great friends here. Our, our kids enjoyed here and um, this is a great place to raise a family and all those type things, but, but yeah, other opportunities come knocking and, and like anybody else in the professional world, you know, you're trying to make your way and, uh, you're trying to put your family in the best position possible. And, um, yeah, Moncton was a, was a great opportunity, um, with a, with a brand new ownership group coming in, um, an ownership group that's had the ability to, to do a lot of things from a financial standpoint. They, they had deep pockets. They, they were, they were ready to, to go and they wanted to win. And there was a brand new uh, arena being built in the city. That is absolutely beautiful. It's called the Avenir center. Uh, it's about 10,000 people brand new, you know, right on main street in downtown Moncton. So moving into that facility was, was a big deal. And took a lot of those pieces kind of lined up um, from, from us to make that move. And uh, that was, that was a, again, a good move for us, um, you know, and, and that was an awesome, uh, awesome team and city to be part of. Tell me about, you know, finally getting to the top of the mountain and winning a championship for the first time. Um, it was, it was awesome. <laughs> I can tell you that. Like it was, I think it was more special because I had been there twice before and, and to not get it done the first two times, you know, when we lost the first year, I think it was a surprise. We were, we were there. Um, we had a really great team, but, you know, we lost to, to the London Lightning and Michael Ray Richardson again. Um, but uh, we weren't supposed to be there. The second year we came back, you know, when we lost that in seven, that was that was probably one of the, the only times in my coaching career that you know, I remember calling my wife after the game and I couldn't even talk. I couldn't even say anything. Um I was just so distraught. I was so upset about the loss. And so I think, you know, when you finally – kind of get over that hump and, and you know, uh, winning in, in Moncton and, and winning, you know, the NBL Canada championship. That was a, that was a big deal. It was a big deal for that city and uh, for that organization. And, and, and for me too, it was something I've been striving to do for eight years, you know, and, and I'd always kind of said in the back of my mind, I'm going to stay in this league until I win it until, you know, I'm, I'm going to be here until we, we win one. And uh, yeah, we got it done. We had a great team. It was a great organization. And, just an awesome. Actually, uh, 
uh, Glenn Davis was was on the team that we beat in in the finals, Big Baby Davis. So that was that was kind of cool as well. Um, but no, it was it was a great feeling. It was, it was obviously one of my uh, one of my my best accomplishments. Uh, you know, I've I've ever done in, in terms of basketball. Um, one of my greatest accomplishments. So no, I'm, I'm very proud of that that championship. Did you feel a little bit of uh, I don't know if vindication is the right word, but a little sense of relief, like oh, I knew I made the right decision. I knew we were working towards this. Um, I knew that that new ownership group in Moncton they were about winning. They they wanted to win, and and uh, I think it. Yeah, maybe a little bit that, hey, this was a great move to come here. But but to be honest with you, it was just such a huge monkey off my back to win the the, the championship of that league. Um, I never really kind of thought of it like, oh, man, did I make the right decision? It just felt like, man, we finally did it. You know, this is this is great. And uh, and I also knew that that winning that, um, you know, long term um, was, was going to help my career and, uh, you know, help me move on, which it did so. Yeah, no, it was a it was a, it was a great three years in Moncton, and unfortunately, COVID, you know, stopped that before. Uh, um, you know, our, we couldn't finish my my final season there, right? So that was difficult, but uh, unreal feeling, you know, winning the championship. And I remember telling the guys in the locker room after the game, you know, whether it's the high school level or or college, junior college, pro, NBA, whatever, if you win a championship, like you're you're a champion, you always will be, and. You know, you, you'll always have that, and um, that's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool feeling. So next up, you said your last season, COVID messes it up, as it did with most everything in terms of basketball at all all levels. Did you know kind of that you were maybe coming to an end of that run with that or had the idea of maybe university – started creeping in at that point uh university did not um no international basketball was really what was next um you know for for me getting not necessarily internet but but getting on a a bigger international stage was really the next step that i was trying to accomplish um i think winning that championship with moncton helped a lot um but I, I wasn't saying I wouldn't say at all. It was in my mind that this was going to be it in Moncton. Um, that COVID year, you know, that was the year after we we won, um, and we were nineteen and four. And we were rolling, and uh, we had seven guys back from that championship team the year before, and we were playing just really good basketball. And um, so, no, I mean, I, I thought you know I'm going to be here for for a long time, and. Um, but COVID, COVID shut it down and COVID really shut down the league, um, you know, and it was hard for, for the league to bounce back from that. So, you know, once I was kind of aware of that, um, you know, that's when I really started kind of working with, with an agent and, and uh, let's kind of look overseas and internationally. And that's when, uh, that's when we went to the Middle East. Take me there through kind of the process of hooking up with the Syrian national team, you know, we talked on the podcast to Steve Pratt a little bit about, you know, mm-hmm. venturing out and being able to work with different countries. Yep. How did that opportunity really present itself to you? Uh, it was really through an agent. Um, agent I had been working with a long time in terms of signing players from him. I had a great relationship with him. And um, 
you know, him and I had been talking a lot about, you know, hey, Joe, you know, you're going to look to make the move, you know, maybe overseas and, and et cetera. And I had a young family. So going overseas wasn't ever really in in my mind yet um, unless a great opportunity came up. And he he literally just just called me one day and it might have been in, I don't know, maybe August or July of, of 2020 and said, you know, hey, Joe, there, there's a national team opening and I, I i sent them your resume and, and you're, they're interested and they want to talk and I, I was i was a little taken back I, I couldn't really believe that and uh you know and then when i got around to asking well what country and he said syria I, you know i really didn't even consider it at first i mean um syria is not the not the safest place to be it's it's um you know certainly since the war there, you know, basketball, the development of the game has, has slowed down, almost come to a stop. And certainly not a dream job, um, at least in my mind. That's what I'm thinking. But, you know, after I thought about it for a while and, and spoke with uh, uh, the president of the basketball, Syrian Basketball Federation, and people with the national team, um, I felt better. I felt better about it. And I just said to myself, like, hey, you know, you rolled the dice and you left your job to go to Montpelier. You know, you rolled the dice and you you left the Frosties to go to Canada. Like, let's let's try it again. And and uh, man, I'm so happy that I made that decision because I had experiences with that team in that country that I don't know if anybody else ever will. Certainly not anybody else that I know. Um, so it came from my agent, and um, yeah, we we just signed a contract and said let's go for it. How much of that was kind of also enjoying the challenge? You know, you tune into the Olympics, you don't necessarily see Syria there. And we've talked to coaches who have, you know, come into a high school program where you got to build the foundation. There's no foundation there yet. Was that somewhat similar to your situation? Were you going in kind of building up a new foundation? I think I think for a moment there was a thought like I checked the the FIBA World Rankings. I think at the time they were when the job was offered to me. I think they were ranked like 112th in the world, you know, out of like 147 in, in that neighborhood. So I think part of me said, "Hey, there's really nowhere else to go but up." You know, that's not a, a terrible position to be in. Um, but for me, it, it was really more, "Hey, this is this is an opportunity to coach on the international stage." You know, this is the next step in the the process and. And, uh, you know, you're going to have an opportunity to try to qualify for the FIBA World World Cup. And, and uh, you know, who knows? The Olympics maybe down the road. So in terms of career path-wise, it was too good of an opportunity that way to, to pass up. So, and there was also part of, part of that contract was, you know, you're working with a national team. And part of that role was to help start developing basketball again in, in the country or, or Syria. And, um that was kind of a real cool opportunity as well to be part of something like that. What was maybe your biggest misconception you had going into that job that proved to be just completely different in a good way? I was really scared to go to Syria. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, people, you know, when you hear Syria, um, you know, people think of war. I mean, at least yeah. the, the vast majority of people that I know, a war torn country, um, you know, that has sanctions from the United States. And, and, you know, I'm, I was the first American head coach 
hired in Syria since 2003. And, you know, when you're a national team, part of the national team, I mean, you're, you're a public figure and, and people are going to know who you are and they're going to know you're American. And, uh, so I, I was, I was pretty, uh, pretty intimidated by all that. And I, I guess I would say that was a bit of a misconception because when I was there, you know, in, in Damascus, um, it was nothing but incredible. It was nothing but incredible experiences with people there. And, uh, people were so grateful that like, Hey, this American coach is actually coming over here to try to help us help our basketball program. And, um, you know, some of just the most grateful people that I've ever met. And uh, that was a bit of a misconception. I think all I was thinking about was what everybody else sees on the news, because that's all yeah. we see about Syria. Not people, not many people have the opportunity to go there and actually see what it's, what it's really like and what the people are really like. How was it telling your family and your dad and mom or whoever, Hey, I'm going to yeah. go to Syria. <laughs> uh, well, when I told my wife, that was the team, the national team that inquired, uh, I mean, her jaw kind of dropped, you know, they even have basketball there. Like what, what, <laughs> um, my father, I can say with confidence at first did not want me to go. Like he, he was pretty, I think pretty adamant at first about that. And I think through more and more conversations, um, you know, he slowly warmed up to, but at first it was, it was not, you know, he wasn't interested in it at all. Um, and I don't think any of my family was, you know, everybody was, was really kind of you know, scared, scared yeah, of that, that type of situation. So, um, but we, we, we overcame that fear and, and uh, you know, we, we hopped on the plane and well, I hopped on the plane and, and went over. So you return and next thing you know, you're headed to a university, a college for the American folk. Uh, Actually, it is a university. It is, it is a university. So in, in Canada, um, well, we'll get into that in, in a minute. Sure. Um, yeah, university for me. So, so again, I guess leaving the, the Syrian national team, um, had great experiences. Like obviously we had that, the big win over Iran that, that was, you know, that's my, my finest moment coaching ever. Um, but it was, it was in the middle of COVID and it was traveling. I mean, I was leaving my family for, you know, a month, month and a half at a time coming back for a month, two months, going back over. And, you know, I, I probably had more COVID tests than anybody you could imagine. Um, but yeah, the, the job, uh, at the university of New Brunswick opened up and that was about an hour and a half from where we lived. And, you know, it was hard. It was difficult for, for my wife, you know, when I was gone, uh, always the, the concerns and worries about, being where I was and, and the traveling and COVID. And when that job opened up, um, just the stability, the potential like longevity at the university level. And it was kind of too good not to apply for it. You know, I was just very, very fortunate to, to be offered the position and big, big transition, big change from, you know, coaching in Damascus against Kazakhstan in the, in the FIBA world cup qualifiers to, to coaching, uh, you know, university of basketball in Canada, it was a big change transition to be honest with you yeah and it seems like you kind of have a propensity to kind of just jump styles and different you know just kind of start over with a new a new style where okay now you're back to kind of recruiting and there's high school kids involved and college kids involved and yeah. canada for those that don't know like has really blossomed 
over the last yeah. 10 years when it comes to basketball and, you know, the players you see in the NBA. And it's become this much bigger, you know, power for basketball. Yeah, basketball in Canada, I mean, really over the last decade, I mean, has has exploded. And there are some very, very talented players in, in Canada. And, you know, to be honest with you, one of the toughest parts of my job is is getting that Canadian talent to stay here because they're all going NCAA Division One. You know, yeah. that that's kind of where they're they're headed. So um but yeah, it's it's a new challenge again, right? Now all now all of a sudden um you're going from training camp in, in Russia to you're in a, a kid's living room in, in Toronto, right? Or or, you know, in front of his parents and you're trying to sell them on, on coming to university in New Brunswick. And um uh, Keeps it interesting though, Tom. You know, I mean, it keeps it, it it keeps the game interesting, and um, it's been it's been a difficult transition, especially that first year at UND, where you know it was really the first time in my career I inherited a team. I like when I got the job, I didn't really have time to recruit that first season, so that was difficult, and and really going from the pro game and the skill level of some of these players that I've been coaching for over a decade to you know, incoming freshmen, 18 year old kids, um, big change, big change. So, but it's been an interesting one. It's, it's been a good one. How important has it been to surround yourself with assistance and the people around you that are familiar kind of in that area? Man, huge, huge. Like my, my lead assistant, um, you know, that I hired, you know, he was the first guy we hired right after I got the job is actually someone that worked with me before. Um, but I just knew he was extremely tied in with, the Canadian basketball university, college, high school landscape. You know, there wasn't a, a person like he didn't, couldn't reach out to that. He, you know, he knew somebody who knew somebody in, in terms of recruiting. So uh, that was really important, you know, and, and one of the other coaches we hired was uh, uh, he used to play in the AUS, which is the conference we play in. He's very familiar with other teams. And, um, you know, so that was, it was important. It was definitely important um, because me just coming at it alone um, would have been, would have been much more difficult than even what it was. So, um, yeah, staff is is so important, and, and I've been fortunate to have some, some great guys around me. So here we sit in June 2023. Where is your drive now? Are you still hungry to keep progressing? Do you still have goals you want to meet? Do you want to, you know, get back in the U.S. at a high yeah. level or – are you enjoying? Obviously, it sounds like you're enjoying Canada. Canada's nice, man. Like it's it's a it's a nice it's a nice place to to live and, and have a family. To be honest, it's very similar where I'm to New England. You know where 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 we live in the Maritimes. But um, yeah, I mean, if if, there, if there's not drive and there's not you know that desire to win, compete, uh, I don't think you could do this job realistically. So I think that's always there um, with me. I think like anything else. Um, I want to win at this level, you know, um, UNB hasn't won a conference title for five or six years now, you know, so, so I'd certainly want to, to get back there and make it to the national final eight, um, which would be the equivalent of the final four in NCAA. But is this the last stop for me? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I know I, I like it here. I, I, it's a, it's a great university. There's, it's a great athletic department, incredible facilities. And, you know, my family likes it here. Um, I think for me, it's always been not necessarily like, Hey, I want to try to make it to the NBA or I want to try to make it here. It's more like, Hey, is my family happy? You know, are, are we well taken care of? You know, do my kids have friends, you know, do they like their school? Like that's really kind of 
a little bit more what it's about to me now. But, you know, I mean, if an opportunity ever came to get back with a national team or kind of work on that type of level again, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd certainly be interested because that experience was just uh, incredible. It was an incredible experience. Awesome. What are uh, what are your kids enjoying? Are they getting into a hockey, hockey. lifestyle? Believe me. <laughs> they play hockey, Tom. They, they both play hockey. And, uh, you know, when we first moved to Canada um, – my son's 13 now. My daughter's 10. And uh, when we first moved to Canada, I remember driving into our new neighborhood and in every other driveway, there was hockey net, hockey net, hockey where at home you'd see basketball hoops, right? And I said to to my wife then, I said, and the longer we stay here, like my son can, like he's going to play hockey. He's going to be a hockey player. And uh, he's been around basketball his whole life, but he's been playing hockey since he was like four. And uh, my daughter's played for, for three or four years now. So, um, yeah, they both love hockey. My son still really likes basketball. He still hoops a lot. He still plays in the driveway a lot and, and um, loves the NBA, you know. And, um, and my daughter, you know, she's into hockey. She's into horse riding, um, gymnastics, you know, all those type of things. So they're they're both uh, doing good. But they're they're Canucks, man. They've been here like their whole life. They're they're Canadian, pretty much. Um, but anyway, it's uh, they're both doing great. How much are you enjoying just getting to be then, you know? hockey dad you're not coaching you know uh, you don't have the vast hockey knowledge not to judge but you no, get to I just kind of don't i mean I, my, my hockey knowledge now is not bad it's right not bad, but i never played hockey as a kid right i mean and in vermont i mean uvm hockey's always been good right but i you know hockey wasn't a part of my life growing up and um to me it, it's been awesome people ask me like oh are you bummed you know son doesn't play basketball and i'm like I've got to learn a whole new sport as an adult by going to his practices all the time. And, and um, hockey in Canada, youth hockey, it's it's different. It's different than anywhere else and uh, anything else I've seen. I mean, you're you're part of a team and there's a culture and there's it's intense and uh, it's awesome. I absolutely love it. I love the fact he plays hockey and he's a good player. And um, yeah, no, it's it's been really cool to to be part of that in growing up in, in hockey few quick hitters, and we'll let you go. All right. Going back to your stint at Montpelier, who are a couple of the best players you got to coach against? When I was a coach, not yes. a player, right? Yes. When I was a coach. Oh, man. Connor Merrill, for sure. Connor Merrill um, was, was no question probably the best player that I coached against. They had a few good players on that team. Logan White. This is the Virgins team that we lost yep. to in the Final Four. Grant White. Grant White yep. from Springfield. Springfield. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was he was very very good. Um, boy, I don't I don't know, Tom. I, I don't know. It'd be hard. I'm trying to remember Central Vermont kids that I coached against uh, that were well, great players. Do you have a couple that you played against that gave you nightmares? When I was at Montpelier playing. Not many teams gave us nightmares when <laughs> we were pretty good yeah. that, that year. We were very good. Uh, Dana Martin was a really good player from Stowe. I remember yeah. that, um, you know, for sure. Uh, let's see. Oh, you know what? You're 32. I'm trying to think now when I was a coach, when I was a coach, I think they had a pretty good shooter a kid named Jackson Cousins, I think. Yep. Jackson Cousins, I think, was there. Um, you know, I, I played against my senior year. I think we played against Spalding when, when Mike and David were, you know, they would have been sophomores, I think. Um, 
but you know what was was cool too? I, I, I literally just remember this. I got to coach the Twin State game. Yeah, you were uh, coached the the youngest to ever win it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I I coached a lot of great players in in that game, and uh, I remember Grant White was on that team, the kid from Springfield, like uh, Nick Menier from Rice, uh, Jonathan Goldberg from Rice was on that team, Shane Norris from Burlington. Oh, Clancy Rugg. Clancy Rugg was on that team. Uh, those are the kids I'm kind of remember when I, but I, I'm having a hard time remembering Central Vermont kids that were real tough when I was coaching. I remember Connor though. Connor Merrill was, he's a coach now too. He's uh, you should have him on your show. I would love that. Yeah, no, he's he's a coach now. He's he's, he's doing good things. What are you looking for when you scout a team? When I scout a team, yeah, at any level, um, kind of. If you're okay, we got to play them in two days. Now is a great time, even. You know, here in Vermont, where all of a sudden the kind of the one bonus to come out of COVID is that all these schools kind of figured out ways to stream their games. So you can get kind of yeah. a lot of tape, but obviously you can easily overwhelm what you're, you know, trying to teach kids in two days. What are the kind of the key things you look for yeah. when you scout a team? I think for us, I mean, the first thing is, is, is knowing their personnel the best that we can, you know, I mean, what they run and, and, and what their tendencies are, that's fine. But like KYP, right. Know your personnel is something that that's really, really big. You know, if, if a kid is struggles going left, like you got to know that your players have to know that. Right. Um, so for me, the first thing is their top three or four players, you know, what can we take away? You know, what, what do we need to take away? I think that's, the most important thing uh, in the game now, I, I haven't seen Vermont high school game for a long time other than Knicks games, but um, you know, the game is so ball screen dominant now, um, you know, how, what's their coverages, you know, how are they guarding ball screens? Are they going to drop? Are they going to sag? You know, are they going to blitz you, you know? So just, I think, I think there are a couple main tendencies on the defensive end and then the offensive end. It's more about knowing their personnel, what their strengths and weaknesses are. Long road trip. What are you bringing for a snack on the bus? Ah, man, I like anything like gummy, like gummy bears, or I'm I'm now on like the gummy lifesavers and there's gummy starbursts right now. Right. Like there's all the, uh, I'm I'm pretty big on that. And I don't know, we always stop to eat. So I don't, I don't bring, I don't really bring money snacks on the, on the, on the road. I normally a Gatorade, a coffee and, and some, some gummy starburst or something. It's probably, hey, you know what though, Tom, I remember what I got on every road game at Montpelier, every single road game. When I was a player there, I'd go to Angelino's pizzeria in Montpelier used to be anyway. And I'd get a six inch chicken parm sub every single road game. I remember that I'd go over there after school. I'd get one. I'd be back in time to catch the bus. And every, every game my senior, that's what I had. Is there one game from either your playing days or your coaching games that, stands out in your mind that might keep you up a little bit that you wish you could do over? Yep. Uh, my third year in Canada um, in the finals, it was game five at home. We were up 3-1 and had an opportunity to win NBO Canada championship at home in game five. Uh, and we lost by two. And I remember literally up in the rafters, you could see there were like the big, huge bags of balloon confetti. And and I remember after the game, you know, seeing the, the custodians, you know, taking the bags away, you know, and it was just like the most awful feeling ever. And uh, to have that opportunity to win it there and, and not have to go back, we were playing Windsor, uh, Windsor, Ontario. Um, 
you know, we had to go back there for game six and seven. And and I, I kind of knew we lost six in a pretty tough one. And I knew game seven, we got blown out in seven. Um, but that game 100% sticks out. And then obviously my senior year at Montpelier as a player, I mean, we were – we were 22 and one uh, going into the Division II state championship game against Bellows Falls. Um, we lost in overtime. And uh, I mean, you, you never forget that. I mean, I, I literally remember there's no shot clock in, in Vermont high school basketball, at least not back then. And um, Judd Adams was his name for, for Bellows Falls. Uh, they took a timeout with two minutes and, and one second left in the game, and it was tied. and and they stalled for the last shot for two minutes. And we almost had a couple. John Cody almost had a steal at, at half court. And um, anyway, went to overtime and we lost. And, you know, that's a game I'll, I'll never, ever forget that game. Can't believe I remember some of these names, to be honest with you. Judd Adams. Like I, you know, it's amazing it's, how it flows back. And it's, it usually is. From, it's usually from losses. I remember a yeah, lot of the is. names of the Thetford kids that beat us for the championship. Jason Gray, right? He used to be a great player. At he was. Yeah, he was a little younger than me. He was after okay. me. But. Yeah, he was on uh, the Twin State team that I coached. Yep. Jason Gray was. I remember him, yeah. Our last question we always ask, you're headed out to dinner. You can bring four coaches with you. Who do you want to sit down Ooh. at the table with? Four coaches. They have to be living? I leave it very open-ended, and I let people decide how they want to go. Tom Izzo is a guy that I've always just been drawn to. I think he has that, just that, man, he can absolutely just crush a player. But yet I think all those players really respect him too. And they, he almost has that, that father-like figure to him, to them. And, and that, that's always, so Tom is only one for sure. Man, I've never, I've never thought of that. Um, I, I don't know. You know, I, I'd have a hard time. I, I think one of the most overlooked coaches in, in the league in the, of all time is, is, uh, is Eric Spolstra. I mean, Eric Spolster to me is a guy who has truly come up from, yeah. you know, you know, the video editor, like all the way to NBA. And I think he's one of the best coaches in, in the NBA. I mean, I think he would be somebody that, I, that I'd want to have at dinner as well. He's starting to get and his then, flowers I mean, a little bit with this run, which has been nice to see. Yeah, which he deserves. It. I mean, he deserves all that. And um Dinner. I, I mean, why not throw, throw TV in there? Throw Brennan in there. I mean, just for the fact he'd probably be the most entertaining guy at the dinner, right? I mean, and, Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, I mean, so so let's put him in as well. And I think, you know, he was a guy I remember going and watching Eddie Benton when I was a kid at UVM and, and watching Brennan go nuts on the sideline and, and dancing all around. And uh, I've never met him. I've, I've never had a chance to, to meet him. And um, you know, so I'd, I'd probably throw him in. That'd be, that'd be kind of a fun a fun group, I guess. That's probably what I go with off the cuff. Well, Joe, thank you so much for giving us so much of your time. And you have a great story that I think a lot of people can draw from, even if it's not about coaching, just about finding a passion and just pushing and working to do what you want to do. Yeah. I, you know, when, when opportunities present themselves, like go after, you know, you go after them with everything you got and you never really kind of know what's going to happen. So, um, yeah, that's something I try to live by a little bit. It's it's done me well. So, but no, man, this is this is great, man. I haven't talked Vermont basketball for a long time, and um, I think it's cool. I think it's a really cool show you're doing. And, and like I said, I scrolled through and saw a lot of people you interviewed, and it's just so many great names in, in Vermont basketball. So, um, very cool. Thanks for having me on. 
Thanks again to our sponsor, Victoria Hill Physical Therapy and Wellness, located on Pearl Street in Hardwick, just up the road from Hazen Union. You can give them a call, 802-472-6622. Make sure you're checking out our socials, No Fouls Pod, on Facebook for all the stuff going on with Uncommon Media, Uncommon Media VT on everything YouTube at Uncommon Media VT. We had our game of the week there a little while ago. We got another one coming out this week. Very excited about all the stuff we have going on. And we will be back next week with another episode right here on No Fouls.